Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today on the podcast is April Gornick, who has been very active in Sag Harbor on a number of projects, and now including the attempt to uh, secure and save and, I guess, open to some extent the the, uh, home of uh, John Steinbeck, which is tucked away on a shoreline in Sag Harbor and includes a, uh, a writing studio. Tell us a little bit about the history of it and when he, he uh, came here and built it. Well, Steinbeck was here at the latter part of his life. He was, I think he owned the house for upwards of about 20 years at least. And he fell in love with Zeg Harbor, just like people do today, almost immediately. He um, was charmed by the, you know, just the kind of unhampton aspect of it. And the fact that there were so many people who flied the seas and were creatives. And he loved the bars. I mean, he loved everything about Zeg Harbor. He really enjoyed it to the hilt and made a lot of friends. He was, he was not like chummy with everybody, nor was he like a glad handing kind of guy. So it's not like he went around and met everybody, but he made fast friends. I mean, to the extent that he was even asked to chair the first Harbor Fest, what has become Harbor Fest, the whaling festival that's held every September. So he had a an impact on the village and the village had a huge impact on him and more particularly important for the effort to save his house and writing studio as a writer's retreat, which is our intent for it, fingers crossed, um, is the fact that he wrote his Nobel Prize winning novel, Winner of Our Discontent here, as well as one of his most popular books, Travels with Charlie. And do you mind if I tell about this in a little more detail? I don't mean to monopolize, but there's Uh, one fascinating thing is that when he won the Nobel Prize, he didn't much care about the prize itself, the prize money anyway. And when he got back, he knew a struggling writer and decided to help him out with at least a good portion of his prize winnings. And not only did he help this young male writer out financially, but he also invited him to come and use his home to work with some seclusion on the book that he was trying to finish. So the first use of his home and his writing studio, which he called Joyous Guard, was actually as used as a used for this young man. It, it was a writer's studio for a while, a visiting a visiting writer's studio, way way back. So it's it just seems so poignant and important that the home is preserved and. Also, I mean, he's he's one of, I think there's 13. 16. 
um, Nobel laureates? 16 American uh, authors won Nobel prizes. Uh, Thank you. Okay. But it's a small amount. And he's, yeah. he's the only one from Sag Harbor. Um, <laughs> when, when we were discussing doing this, I, I just wanted to kind of brush up on my Steinbeck knowledge stores, which were not, you know, fully filled. And one of the things that I ran into is the fact that there are Steinbeck fan clubs all over the world today. There's, you know, like in Singapore and Amsterdam. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how huge his reach is. Yeah. And, and he's also such a great humanist, you know, just like a, a salt of the earth, man of the people kind of person without being, I mean, I don't think he didn't, he didn't grandstand about that ever, as far as I know, except in his writing, you know, he didn't, he didn't get up on any soapboxes out here, but he stood for that. And it's, it's something that he really, it's something that's so applicable today in today's world, you know, like standing up for that kind of. Tell, tell us where pretty much exactly is the studio in the home. It's on, it's on Bluff Point Lane, which is way, it's, it's kind of the, it's off of, it's sort of off of John Street, you could almost describe it as that at the southwest part of the village. And the, the writer's studio is still intact. It hasn't been lived in the, you know, since Elaine passed away several years ago now, the home is actually owned by a consortium of relatives and it is their right to try to get as much money for all the participants that are in that consortium you know the, they have the right to get the price that they want for it but we hope that they will they will be excited about it being preserved as well because it being private property someone else could come in and swoop it up and turn it into a McMansion and it would be lost forever. And the home is in amazingly good shape. It is intact. It is not in need of repairs. Um, the writing gazebo is still, can still be used. And I think we talked briefly about this before that um, Steinbeck designed it and did some work on it himself, at least some work on it. So it's, it's in great condition to become this without any extra added expense. Well, he, he would walk across the lawn. It's a waterfront piece of property facing out mm -hmm. on the bay. And he would walk across the lawn from the house to this octagonal shaped odd thing that he, he, he called it. Uh, Joyous uh, Guard. Yes, I think it's from Cervantes. Yes, it's uh, from Don Quixote. Yeah, <laughs> and it's. It's just, it's so, it's so, he had described the commotion at home with Lane and friends of theirs and kids running in and out and just really needed someplace that he could have privacy. So he, I mean, that's also that, that per perception and sensitivity to how much privacy a writer typically needs is also speaks well of the, our intent for how it should be preserved. And by the way, like we started this, I didn't start this at all. I jumped in at Catherine Zoka's request. Catherine Zoka runs Canio's books here in the village. And she had had the idea that when she found out that it was on the market, she had had the idea that it should be preserved and worked very hard 
on that idea, contacted people from Southampton Town Community Preservation Fund, did a petition which garnered like, I think it's 130,000, it's a lot of signatures, an amazing amount of signatures. And, but she needed a little more structural help to put this together. And just to update you where we're at is we had asked originally Stony Brook, of course, was the first place that anyone thinks of out here because they have a great writing program. But they decided they said quite instantly that it was it was too much for them to deal with at that time. This is like barely a year ago. And then it was she and others were advised that the best thing to do would be to find a university that had significant Steinbeck holdings, and ideally some kind of track record with writers programs to pair with. And we initially contacted San Jose University, which has very um, significant Steinbeck holdings, and then UT Austin, University of Texas, Texas at Austin came up. And that turned out to be amazing because there's a really strong connection between you, this, this, you can't make this up, but there's a big, strong connection between UT Austin and Stony Brook. They have traded, they have like one has a provost originally from Stony Brook and Stony Brook has writers there and they, they've traded a lot of intellectual property and help and they're, they're great participants with each other. So we're looking forward to putting together a board that will be that will be representing Stony Brook and Pearson High School if the high school you know if, or Pearson School if the school system is interested definitely John Germain Memorial Library and a representative from the village board needs to be on it maybe someone from Southampton town so we want to have a, a very robust representation of people in the community at the table even if University of Texas at Austin is kind of running the center, but they have the Missioner Center. So they have they have like pretty much the greatest track record for writers residencies in the country. So how much money is uh, being asked by the descendants of John Steinbeck? I think now it's 15, 15, four. It went down from it was an extreme amount at the beginning. I think it was like 18 million or something like that. It, it was huge, huge amount of money. Maybe it started at 17.6. I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact amount. And they've dropped it down and we've made it a substantial offer. And this is coming from the very generous CPF funding that we've been promised. And also from a number of largely people that reside around that area who don't want to see it turned into a McMansion, who actually love looking at it because it's Steinbeck's, because it's modest, because it's it's beautiful, it's history in front of their eyes. And it's been- How big is the property? Um, uh, I don't really know. Uh, I'd have to I'd have to run over to a website and look up <laughs> a sale sale website to find out. I think it's it might be a little over an acre. It's, it's not not a big piece. No, 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 no. It maybe it's three quarters or something. How, how yeah. many bedrooms? Like a, yeah, there's just two bedrooms, and again, that would 
that would not need to change. And the thinking is yeah. to have no more than two or three residents at a time. And the typical amount for a residency like that would be a couple of months. And there would be no, you wouldn't have like constant tours or anything of that nature. We've talked to the residents at great length. And so did the people from UT that came up to talk to the Southampton town and to the village of Sag Harbor. Like they've been in contact with everybody, like all the players know each other now. And the, and they met with residents and they, their feeling is that the the main thing is don't disturb the community, don't make anybody crazy, keep this quiet, but also allow a certain amount of public access. So, was during, uh, was uh, the Jackson Pollock House? Uh, did you ever consider that model where they have a study center there? Absolutely, that's that's one reason that that's one reason that we contacted Stony Brook first because they're a part of Stony Brook. Yeah. So yeah, no, that was that was our first thought. Was like, well, okay, we got Stony Brook, and we'll just do this. And then they just said, no, for whatever reason. I mean, it was pandemic times. I, like, you know, we we didn't say why not, <laughs> but but we're glad to still have them at the table, especially now. So whatever seemed burdensome is probably been alleviated because of this collaboration. And then I just wanted to add to that. We, we met with the mayor and village board of trustees and spoke to them about the intent and public access because they were concerned that it would be a bunch of people from Texas coming in and <laughs> does that mean? And, and we, we were like, no, 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 it would be writers from all over just as if Stony Brook were running it, just like how all residencies are run. And that we have always planned and insisted on, and UT said that they would not be interested unless we had a very practical and effective program for community interaction. So they would, so whoever's residents there would be expected to interact with children, other writers, you know, just a certain amount of public interaction. And then also maybe we were, I mean, so far we were talking about maybe five times a year to have sort of an open house that people could see it. But, you know, just really trying to be careful because it is a residential neighborhood. It's not, I mean, it would be a residence and a residential neighborhood, but we wouldn't want people thinking that it was a free for all. Well, so, I think I think the uh, Jackson Pollock house, it's uh, Pollock Krasner house is uh, open by appointment. And uh, it's another yeah. model, I think, in, and you and you can see signs around points saying it's up the street, and mm -hmm. you, know, you can't go there unless you call. And it's sort well, of the, like the difference is 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 that it's on Springs Fireplace, which is a very public road, and not really zoned for residential. And this is really zoned residentially, and is not that kind of a um, busy road. So we have a little advantage in being able to make it more available to a greater amount of people more of the time, but this would not be closed. It would just be, you know, limited. Yes. And, and it also I think becomes, is this at a, is it at a point now where people could contact anyone about donating to uh, raise, help raise the money to make this happen? Oh, is yes. Is that going to be a 
Yes. No, we're, we're still looking for a little bit more funding. We're just trying to, we're really just trying to narrow that gap from what we think they'll find an acceptable price and what we've already offered, which I can't disclose, but which is substantial. And we're hoping that, um, yeah, I mean, we keep, we keep saying, who knows Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> who is a massive, massive Steinbeck fan. It turns out he, the, the guy is like, completely enamored with Steinbeck and we just can't quite get to him, but yes, it's, it's absolutely. We're, we're accepting funds through the Sag Harbor partnership. We're doing, if you think about the cinema model, this is very similar to the way that we did the cinema. So it would be, we are raising the extra funds besides the community preservation funds and then making the proposals and working things out with the heirs of the Steinbeck heirs and their consortium. And then once we, you know, get the the building and contract and the property and contract, uh, we would be forming a separate, like we have the same thing for the cinema. It's called SAG Cinema LLC, run by its own nonprofit. So it would have its autonomy. The one misperception that I've heard is that people think that UT will own it. UT doesn't own it. They would just be the lessee of the property and the house, and they would they would help run it, but they don't own it. Will they be putting up any substantial funding for it? Yes, they've actually said that within five years they think that they can raise a million dollar endowment. <laughs> I can't say the amount. It's large. It's large. They're an incredibly well endowed facility, and Yes, they're they're very very well endowed, and again, this was the reason to think of a university or a situation like UT Austin that actually has substantial holdings, so that they have a sense of commitment and that it would fit into their their makeup. You know, it's it's in the it's in the fiber of their their writing efforts and their encouragement of young people. And old people. I mean, it would be, we've talked about who would be there and it would be anyone who is an aspiring young humanitarian writer to someone who's older and just trying to finish that last book and just needs some space to work. And certainly we would be getting a lot of suggestions from Sony Broker, whoever. Well, thank you very much for being on the podcast and and uh, we've kind of run out of time and I hope we've all learned about the house and how it would interface, I think, in some major way with the park, and which has also already been put into place. My guest has been April Gornick, who's uh, one of the spearheading people on the uh, effort to save this property. And thanks for, for coming and being here for, for the show. Oh. Dan, thank you so much. It's always great seeing you. And if anybody wants to donate, sagharborpartnership.org is the website. And any amount is great. $10 is wonderful. So anyway, thank you very much. Sure. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.